Hello, scribes and scribblers. Welcome back to the Nib Section, the official podcast of Fountain Pen's Oceania. It's Diana Dye, producer-in-chief. A very special episode this week. We are so happy to have on the podcast a man who needs no introduction. He is one half of the Pen Addict podcast. He's also the man behind the Pen Addict blog. I am, of course, referring to Mr. Brad Dowdy, the Pen Addict himself. Welcome, Brad. Our listeners may not know that when um, us in Fountain Pens Oceania started this podcast, the Nib section, it was back in 2017. And back then, you were one of the very earliest um, stationary podcasters on the scene. And basically all of us had been listening to you for several years and you were really quite an inspiration to all of us. Um, even before we started the podcast, even when Fountain Pens Australia was started, um, I think we have a mutual acquaintance, um, Jonathan Deans, who used to be Absolutely. one of our admins um, before the <laughs> Facebook um division. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We're not going to talk about that. Um, I know lots of people have questions, but <laughs> let's not dig up um, old archaeology. But um, Jonathan and yourself, I remember had an episode on the pen addict, which really was what mm. brought me into the hobby. Um, I was more economist than stationary addict at that, that point. So um, the two of you just introduced the scene of stationery and fountain pens in a way that I was really, really attracted to. And it was what led me down the rabbit hole of discovering Fountain Pens Australia, um, getting involved with the community, and eventually um, starting this podcast. So, um, which is just a short way of saying, I admire you intensely. And this really feels <laughs> like the combination of our podcasting career. I mean, where does it go from here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just so proud to see something like the nib section exist, right? That just makes me so happy. And, you know, I always think of it as, you know, anything I can do to support anyone in the stationary community. Like I am a hundred percent forward. We need, need more voices, um, especially worldwide, um, especially from women. And, you know, we need to hear these things and hear these opinions and points of view. And the more people that want to do this, the better. I, I always tell people to go for it. I've got your back. Absolutely. And I, we've really felt that. Um, and I also try now that we have um, some loyal listeners, we try to extend that um, allyship to fountain pen podcasters who are new on the scene um and i'd love to actually have more of them on the show i wish i spoke and was able to understand spanish because i know that there is a new spanish language podcast which looks really exciting but i don't understand a word of it um if there was yeah. a podcast that was in chinese um i would absolutely love <laughs> you know to give them a shout out um sharon and i would be able to understand that um but yes we've really appreciated the way that you've sort of nurtured this ecosystem of um, fountain pen and stationary um, fans online. And this is really what I wanted to talk to you about, your relationship with the hobby, uh, with the community online, and how that's sort of evolved over the last, oh gosh, is it like 
13, 12, 13 years? Um, now I have to think <laughs> about it. So this year, the blog started in November 2007. So we'll hit 15 years oh on the blog goodness. in November. <laughs> oh. <laughs> does it, That's crazy. Does it ever, does it ever just um, hit you, you know, like a face full of bricks when you think about how long you've had this persona as the pen addict? It, it kind of does a little bit. Um, not so much with the blog, more the podcast when we see a number like episode 458. Like that doesn't always register. But if I think about that too much, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like that's that's a lot. <laughs> and a um, that's when it kind of hits me. That, yeah. I remember um, listening. I can't remember who it was that listed some podcast stats on the Panatic Slack, uh, which is a great platform and a great community there, by the way. Um, and they were saying how many podcasts just fail or um, disappear within the first, you know, couple of episodes. So um, the longevity that you've had in this in this environment is um, just unbeatable. And I hope you continue to do it um, for many years to come. Yeah, I'm not stopping anytime soon. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so let's just start back at the beginning. Um, back in, was it 20, no, 2007, 2007, mm-hmm. um, when you started the, the Panadic blog, what was it that initiated that thinking that, you know, that there was an audience for such a niche hobby and that you were the person who was qualified <laughs> and able um, and motivated enough to devote so much of your time to this, you know, this blog called The Pen Addict. That's so funny. You put those words together. I never thought about that. Like you have to have, you got to kind of know what you're doing, not just with, okay, presenting, you know, a discussion about pens, but also getting them online and, and trying to figure out what those things are. I guess the back, I mean, in, in 2007, I'll, I'll talk about the blog starting in a minute, but before I got there, like I was just always, you know, infatuated with stationery when I was a kid. I was, my goal was to write as small and as tiny as possible, right? And to draw as small and tiny as possible. I can That's recognize your writing, about. you know, just with one photograph mm. now. <laughs> <laughs> it's much, it's much larger now, but it's still tiny, you know, comparatively. But that, like, that was my only goal. And you got to remember, I'm of a certain age where when I'm buying stationery in school, there's no internet for us to shop for Japanese pens, right? Like, I didn't know that world existed. I, whatever I could get at the grocery store with my parents, you know, for school supplies was what I got. And I was never, ever satisfied with that. So I had access to a large college bookstore in my town my grandfather would take me to. And at that time, they had like engineering supplies for like the drafting students and the engineering students. It's like, oh, these these mechanical pencils are different and these pens are different. So I've always had that interest, right? That curiosity about wanting a better pen or a better paper. You know, if I can write small, well, now I need a notebook with like really thin lines. Oh, what is this college ruled notebook, right? Like that's how it all starts. And being like that same age coming, you know, out of high school and into college in the late eighties and early nineties, I'm at the dawn of the internet too. Right. So I was always online from that period, like from late eighties to early nineties, you know, I had like, you know, um, cinder block size laptop, you know, those types of things that were just, you know, horrible, uh, horrible machines compared, <laughs> compared to what we have. So I was always curious about 
what was online. And that led to me sharing my thoughts online in the early 2000s about baseball. <laughs> so I've always, always been a sports fan, was a baseball fan. And that's just kind of what you did when you had a regular job or you were going to school and you had this passion and you could meet these other people who kind of shared the same, you know, passengers as you. And then you say, well, I have this opinion and I'd like to just not shout it into thin air, even though that's pretty much what the internet is. These days you're just shouting it out there and hoping someone sees it. But Still, you at least had a place to point people, right? Oh, I like this. Go look here. You can see my thoughts. Read my thoughts. So the pen thing just continued. Um, and I remember specifically the pen and the location that changed my thoughts and wanting to uh, put together, like maybe share my my thoughts on pens. So I was I was working. I was in the IT field for um, most of my adult life. And I was away on a training trip. And when you're out of town by yourself, you know, people will tend to get into lots of trouble. My trouble was going to the local Staples or Office Max or Office Depot. <laughs> so, at, so at nighttime, I'd go out to dinner by myself and walk over to the Office Max. And this Office Max, for some reason, this is like in 2006, for some reason, they had the Uniball Signo RT in 0.38 millimeter. And I had never seen, I, everything I used was 0.5 at the time. That was the smallest I could get. And I was lucky to be able to get those, quite honestly. Um, so I would hoard them. And I was like, what is this? And, you know. It's like a unicorn. <laughs> was, yeah, I had no idea. I was obviously familiar with Uniball and was using pilot pens at the time and zebras, but not that tip size. I was like, well, if this exists, there has to be more. So that's when I just went back. I never considered like shopping online for my pens. Like at the time in the early 2000s, there would be plenty of opportunities to do that. Um, maybe not quite as accessible for what I was looking for, but lo and behold, you go online and I found jet pens. And at the time, I think that was right when they started, like in 2006 and they were importing pilot high tech C's and Uniball Signo DX's and things like that. And I went to town. So I placed an order and basically started writing, sharing my thoughts then, like right online. I was like, well, if I'm into this, maybe someone else like would like these pens. And like I knew at the time I couldn't find any information on what I was searching for. So I just decided to write it myself. And my goal at the time, I couldn't there were a couple there weren't really pen blogs out there at the time, but there were a couple places you could find pen reviews or just some general commentary on pens and not one of them ever had a writing sample. Ah. And I was like, what is the point of showing me and telling me about a pen if I can't at least see how it writes? You know, it doesn't necessarily translate, right? I can't totally tell will it work for me, but it gives me some idea of, you know, maybe it's just completely skippy and terrible. And I said, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do a writing sample and I'm going to post it online and I'm going to say what I think about this pen. And my mind is blown. Almost 15, mind is, <laughs> 15 mind years ago. My mind is blown because these are things <laughs> that, um, I mean, I think the age gap between yourself 
and I is not as great as you think. I'm actually older than Mike. Mm. So I remember also mm. those early days of the internet and not being able to yep. buy anything online, also because I didn't have a credit card back then. Um, but, right. <laughs> I mean, these things that you're talking about, about the early days of fountain pen communities and how these norms just seem to come out of nowhere. Well, you were there. You were the ones, you know, helping to build those norms and establishing what is it we expect from a pen review, basically. Um, you know, this is not something that you can find in a newspaper or even a magazine, typically. This is what hobbyists and individuals bring to the scene. Um, you know, these it's like looking at an object from multiple angles, you know, the and it's the cumulative effect of all those different angles and all those points of views from users that give you a better understanding of how this thing actually works. You know, you can't rely on one review or even one set of photos. You need this well-rounded understanding, you know, of how different people use it and how different people experience it. And I think it's mind-blowing to me that those standards and, um, you know, those innovations, you were there and you were part of it. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never think about it that way, like being there at the beginning. But, you know, I, I definitely was, at least as far as like the, the stationary, you know, online stationary realm goes. Like, and I'm, I'm super proud of, of like being there, being there for so long and just trying to continually, you know, grow is not the right term because there, there could be different connotations to that, but it's, it's just seeing a, I think it's a very healthy community and I'm just proud to play like a tiny role in that. Well, I'm going to read to you what your very first panatic blog was. I don't know how long it is. You've oh, looked at yeah. this, um, <laughs> a while. <laughs> for our listeners, I really want to draw your attention to this. The very, very first post on the panatic blog back in November 29, 2007, it reads, welcome to the pen addict. If you've stumbled across this page, then you have a problem, a problem like mine, a problem you don't share publicly with many others. But in the blogosphere, we are all friends and we can all talk about our issues and share with other like-minded individuals. And that is why I'm starting this blog. My name is Dadaism and I am an addict. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, that holds it up. It so holds up. And it sounds so <laughs> confident. <laughs> Yeah, I except the part where I used my online persona because I didn't know at the time like whether I should use my real name or my online name. So that's what I did. And do you regret that? I mean, but yeah, I no, 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 not at the time. Like, no, like a few. It took me a couple years, and I was just like, well, I'm just gonna keep doing this, and you know, people know who I am, and I just want to talk to people and make friends, and like, you should know my name. That's cool. So, yeah, that's state. I, I have not read that in forever. Um, I, I'll take it. I, I like it. You should. And you should be proud of it. Um, that it holds up after this long. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So from the blog, how did it grow into the podcast? Uh, because there was a span of several years between the start of the blog and then the start of the podcast in 2012. I think that's when the first episode was released. Yep. yep. Yeah, so it was it was a good you know four and a half years or so before a friend of Mike um, had a podcast with Mike, my my podcast partner Mike Hurley, um, named uh, Patrick Roan. He had a podcast called Enough, 
which gen- the general conceit of the podcast was around minimalism. And Patrick was an analog tools fan. You know, he had fountain pens, vintage fountain pens, and he wrote letters and kept a diary and a journal. So uh, he at some point stumbled across my blog and we'd become online friends, you know, through email or Twitter. And eventually Patrick, um, and I was listening to the podcast separate from, you know, I I felt like I kind of knew Patrick we kind of discovered each other independently, but then became kind of connected through like these analog tools. And Patrick decided to have me as a guest on the podcast, um, called enough. Um, and just to talk, just to nerd out about pens, Patrick wanted someone he could nerd out about pens with that wasn't Mike because Mike, (laughs) Mike was not that into it at the time. Um, but Mike had that show and he had like, like two other podcasts or something like that. You know, he had like a tech show and maybe something else. So Mike was basically the podcaster of the group. Like he knew all the podcasting stuff. We finished that episode and we're in the after show and Mike, I'd never met Mike before, um, before that show. And Mike said, we need to make a podcast about pins. <laughs> And I said, that's the dumbest idea <laughs> I've ever heard. Like, if you say that out loud, it just sounds just absolutely ridiculous. And he was like, he was like, no, he's like, I really think he's like, you know what you're talking about. Um, you can present it decently enough. I can tell you like what we need to do for podcasting. I can handle all that stuff. You just have to talk and like, I'll help guide you along. And I'm like, no, Good God, <laughs> like, he's, I, like, I turned... he's like a drafter. If, if I'm using the correct term of that word, I mean, I'm not a sports person, but that seems to be like what he does, you know, like he spots yeah. talent and then sort of ropes them yeah, yeah, in yeah. to do what he wants to do. Yeah, totally. Totally. So he stayed on me for like, it, it only took me about a week or two to come around, but he kept, he, he's like, look, he's like, I'm serious. And so that's when I started listening to like, you know, his other shows and kind of getting a feel for Mike and, and things like that. I said, okay, you know, let's do it. And I just, I went into it assuming we could do about 10 episodes and here we are, you know, we'll be, we're in our ninth year. So our 10 year anniversary of the shows next year, once a week, every week since uh, 2012. It's crazy. And how long did it take for that podcast to really find its feet? I mean, I've, I think it was back in 2017 or earlier that I started listening to the back catalog of mm-hmm. Panatic Podcasts. Mm-hmm. And even back at the beginning, um, you sounded so sure of what you wanted the podcast to be. It had mm-hmm. really clear identity. But how long did it uh, take to find the listenership? I'd say probably once we got about 50 episodes in it, it started to feel like it was like a real thing, like not just um, this kind of uh, chat I have with Mike every week. Like we would start getting feedback and ratings and all those types of things. It's like, oh, people are listening because in the beginning, right in that 2012 period. Yeah. In the first year that we started, because we started like in February of 2012, if I have my dates correct. Um, by that summer I was burnt out or of like, I needed a break from like all things pen addict, um, at the time. Cause I'm, this is it was still, you know, it's just a hobby and we're obviously going to talk about those things later, but like it was interfering with, you know, my day job, you know, my kids were super young at the time and it's just, you know, just a lot of just life stress. I was like, I need to take a break. So I, I stopped blogging, stopped podcasting for about two or three months just to see what would happen. 
and that was like episode 20 something 27 maybe 26 something like that and then i just emailed mike one day said i'm ready i'm ready to go again i miss it and it's been nonstop ever since so once we kind of came back from that then it just kind of took off and then by like episode 50 um we were we were going and then by episode 100 mike and i were uh, meeting to get meeting for the first time in person. So, um, and it's just been it's just been sailing ever since. Wow, oh, I know this isn't um, like this ancient history. What, what is ancient history for both <laughs> of us, really? Um, the those days of the internet. Um, it it's not exactly what I brought you onto this podcast to directly talk about, but I think it's important to cover because this sort of history is not something that I've found about the podcast online. And I think it's important um, for the community to know where it comes from, you know, um, because you're Mm -hmm. such a foundational like pillar of it. That's how I see it really. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you've been there for so long and introduced so many new um, pen addicts to one another and to the fact that this hobby even exists. The, the, The historian, the anthropologist part of me is really interested in that sort of stuff. How communities online evolve and then grow and i think part of you know sponsoring and helping that growth is for people to know you know where we come from and then to have a direction of where we're going you know a core set of values um and i think you know that common history is not something i've seen online so um i really wanted to have that conversation and really put it out there so now it's there now you know what happened at the very beginning um and it's it's also i think really interesting to think about how in those early days of podcasting because the technology barrier was still there people like me who are not um technologically um adept in any way like I'm, i'm pretty much a luddite in every aspect of my life outside of work we we could not podcast. You know, you didn't have voices like mine in podcasting back then because it was more difficult to, you know, work with platforms, to have the equipment. Um, and so a lot of the early podcasters, and I've been listening to podcasts for like over 10 years, um, a lot of those early podcasters did have a background in IT. And um, so those were the voices that we heard. And as this... I don't even want to call it an industry because it's not just an industry. It started out as, you know, like a social media platform, basically, you know, it was free. And, um, but as it podcasting evolved, there was greater diversity of voices, just this proliferation, but in the same, um, by the same token, because there are so many voices, it's much harder to break out. There are so many different podcasts on the scene and, like little podcasts that find their very, very small listenerships um, and very increasingly difficult to actually grow bigger. Um, And so I think that's why what you do is also so important because you do take that time to both engage with other podcasters and also shout them out on your show. So you use your platform um, to draw attention to those new podcasts. And I think that's so important and everyone should know that's what you do um, because what you do is also helping those other voices find, you know, their listenership and in the process, helping the whole community to grow. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. There's like, it's, it's not even in any remote part of my brain to operate differently. 
that's just how I would do it in person. You know, that's just how I feel is the right way to do things and the right way to act online and the right, right way to represent, you know, myself and what I believe in. And yeah, like I, I'm, I, I wouldn't do it any other way. Like, it's just not possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I like to talk to you. Um, so before we get further, uh, before we start talking about what's happening now, um, I want to ask you, what is it you're writing with today? Because that's something that I ask all oh. our hosts and guests. <laughs> is it a fountain pen? So I'm or is using it a gel ink. It is a fountain. It is a, it is a okay. fountain. I was going to hold you to that. In this, in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a whole other podcast about me hating fountain pens uh, <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> um, and I'm actually kind of regretting my choice, not because of the pen. So I'm using the uh, Bung Box Sailor ah. Fujiyama Blue. It's a pro gear. It's a large one. It's got like a translucent blue barrel with a metal section, which I really, mm. really like in Sailor's pens. And I have it inked up with Fujiyama Blue, also Bung Boxes, like the matching ink for that pen. It's a very light blue, icy blue. And my lighting is poor tonight, <laughs> and it's not the best choice. This is uh, I need good lighting for this ink. I've been complimenting this ink because I've been using it so much. Turns out I've been using it in the daytime mostly <laughs> when I can read it better. Um, but it's on um, my Masubi uh, bank paper indigo denim journal, which is I have that same journal. <laughs> it's maybe the favorite journal I've ever bought. Um, I I don't say that lightly. Um, because it's a very, very expensive as, as you know, but there's just something about that cover, that material, um, the Masubi brand and story. And, uh, yeah. And I, I like the bank paper style as opposed to necessarily the Tomoe river, because like you said, I use a lot of gel pens and pencils and ballpoints and things like that. It's just a better paper for everything that I use. I love the, the fabric that's on that journal. It's, um, I think they call it indigo yep. metallic or something like that. It has this flash mm -hmm. of sheen through it. Yeah, it's got like this sheen. But it's very on it. subtle. It's so beautiful. Um, and I bought that sight unseen because yeah, and... I just love the name of it. <laughs> I looked in the product photos. Yep. So glad I did. Totally. I've, yep. I bought it online. Like I've seen Daryl at Pinchos multiple occasions, but I waited till this one was online and bought it from there. So yeah. Yeah. Don't regret that choice. Um, what I'm writing with is the Franklin Christoph model 19 in the black and cream. Um, it's, I don't have very many fountain um, pens from Franklin Christoph, but I have many of their nibs and this has a really good one. It's a sick um, fine um, by Audrey. And I really like the sort of vintage style of this pen. I love the shape of it and I love the nib. And it's currently inked with um, a Karandash ink. It's um, ultraviolet, which is a, it, it's not an exciting ink, but it's a lovely ink. It's a sort of a matte, mm. um, moody, dark purple with basically no Ooh. sheen, but, um, it's the sort of ink that I sometimes like to use, which is very understated. Yeah, I'm actually writing that down <laughs> as you talk about it. That's like, oh, I would like that. So that's what we're writing with. And I know you've been with this community from the very start. And really what I wanted to talk to you about is your experience with the hobby itself 
as you've worked on this podcast, as you've worked on the blog. Um, because one of the things that really had a profound um, impact on me when I was getting into fountain pens as a hobby and around the time that the podcast was started was um, something big happened on the scene. It was, um, I'm sure you must know the pen habit, um, Matt Armstrong, who had this really great blog and video channel on YouTube. And he did incredibly uh, professional, thorough, really smart reviews and looked like an all-round great guy and was really, really helpful in those early days um, for me to get an idea of some pens that were not frequently reviewed um, by podcasters or bloggers, pens like the Aurora Optima, um, which, you know, in Australia was only having one or two retailers and um, those people probably didn't let you actually write with those pens. So it was really, really helpful to have him around. And um, back in 2017 or 2018, Matt Armstrong decided to leave the hobby um, and he closed down his, well, he discontinued his channel on YouTube and his blog and um, he basically was burnt out. And I think that followed after a number of years where he sort of, um, he came and went and um the intensity of his involvement sort of waxed and waned. And um, it really struck me as um, quite alarming at that time. I won't, um, I won't lie about it, you know, because I'm someone who also has this addictive personality. Um, And when I get into hobbies, I also tend to go very, very deep and very, very fast. And so I've had to have I've had to make a conscious effort to not be too involved in any one particular hobby and sort of spread myself out so I don't get burnout so quickly. That incident has always been at the back of my mind for all these years. And um, I was wondering if you recollect that incident, if you remember Matt Armstrong, I'm sure you do fondly, um, but also have you yourself um, ever been in that danger of, you know, wanting to throw your hands up and say, I've spent enough of my life on this blog, on this podcast. Um, it's consuming my every waking thought. <laughs> you know, I have no spare time. I have no personal life. <laughs> I have no discretionary income. Um, and <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> and, you know, maybe this is the time for me to retire as the pen addict. So... I'm happy to call Matt a good friend of mine, and I was actually there when he made the decision to hang it up before he had announced it publicly. Um, You know, he was part of a a circle of friends that were very close, and it still is that we can, you know, talk about these things offline, right? Talk about struggles and business and how to do things and, you know, what positives we're seeing, what negatives we're seeing and get like real legitimate, honest feedback. And to be honest, I could not have been more happy for him to make that decision at that time. And I'm still very thrilled for him because he is happier because he doesn't have to necessarily put all that time and effort into it. And I guess I don't, he, I don't know that he ever like explained the reason why is it. And even if he did, I probably wouldn't share them, but 
it was, you know, it was just a decision that was due and Matt is, seems to be just completely thrilled with that for why ever he, he chose it. And I mean, he went into some things in like his last video and, and blog post just about like just basic burnout um, of he just kind of like you were saying about yourself. He took what he did extremely seriously, like to the nth degree, like I take what I do seriously, but I'm, I don't know that I've learned my limits over the years, but I definitely like, I've definitely learned to say no a lot over the last few years, um, for all kinds of various things. And we can, we can dig into that later. But the, I was, I remember in the beginning of the blog in those early years, you know, I could not take it or leave it. Like I always wanted to do it right. And I always published regularly and I enjoyed doing it. I remember I would go on my, I'd have an hour break from lunch, uh, at work and I would go the Barnes and Noble bookstore was like a two minute drive from my office. And they had like the Starbucks cafe there. And I would go get my notebooks, run over there, um, you know, throw lunch in my, in my face and, and, and write three reviews while I was at lunch because I wanted to keep my schedule. Right. It was like, well, I publish I publish three reviews a week. That's what I do. So this is the time where I need to do them because you know, I don't have time at home or I need to get ahead. Those types of things. Um, in 2012, it was a definite burnout time period. Like it was a full, I never fully stopped previously in 2012 it was a full stop like i did nothing for about two to three months until that and that was the turning point i either enjoyed not doing it or i couldn't not do it anymore and that's what it ended up being i missed it so much i was going to do this regardless and that's when I knew that I was going to continue blogging and podcasting at least. I, at that point, I didn't know what was coming up afterwards, you know, down the line. I never went into this with any visions of it being a career um, at all. But that's when I knew that, okay, I'm really good. I, I really enjoy reviewing pens and talking to Mike every week. Like, those were my things. And that was at the point also where I was getting into the fountain pen thing. And then that opened up a little bit of a different world. So maybe that like sparked me a little bit where, Oh, I could go to a pen show and there's this whole other world out there. Right. I was in my own little gel pen world, you know, for like four or five years. And then I discovered this completely different world um, that I wasn't sure about at first, but got sucked in pretty quickly. um, Once I learned a few things and that was the point where the blog was growing. The podcast was growing. Um, I would go to a pin show and people would recognize me, you know, or mostly they would recognize my voice. They would hear someone talking next <laughs> to them and that's the, and their eyes would like cut over and their head would turn and they'd like point at me. I'm like, Hey, I'm Brad. I do the pin out <laughs> podcast. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> because I, I, my picture was never online, right? Like we're doing, you're doing a podcast. It's audio. No one knows. And like my blog never, not purposefully. It just doesn't come up, right? When you write a blog and have a podcast, it's not necessarily you're showing, you know, your headshot all the time. So that was when I, I won't say I like started taking it more seriously, but I knew that like, I, I really enjoy this and want to keep doing it. Um, and then like in the next couple of years after 2012 is where things started to kind of move towards where we're at today, if you will. Something I always think about, um, and this is my, um, online, um, and social media background. And I think a lot of us bring these extra hobbies into our fountain pen hobby unit and which is that back in late uh, 2000s, early 2010s, I was intensely, well, as intensely as I am in anything, uh, I was quite involved in online perfume and beauty blogging, uh, which I don't know how aware you you are of it, but is incredibly rabid, uh, very, very active, so many users, so many um, influencers and by that point, you know, the early 2010s, really, really heavily infiltrated by brands, um, their marketing teams, PR people, and becoming increasingly monetized, you know, by the big brands. And I just watched the evolution of that um, community online becoming um, more and more driven by you know, the latest releases and less and less by the voices of the individuals who worked so hard on their blogs and their channels. And it was sort of taken over by these, you know, by the big brands and um, by Sephora and so on and so forth. Um, And I remember reading this article, I think almost 10 years ago now, talking about how usually very young women in their teens and their early 20s, how they're basically being used by these companies and offering their labor in, ex- in return for, you know, brief moments of gratification and fame online. You know, they get given these products, but they're also expected to devote, you know, hundreds of hours into sponsoring and promoting these objects, to reviewing them, to featuring them on their channels. Instagram wasn't a thing back then. It was mostly YouTube and blogs um, and, you know, makeup alley. And uh, watching how this became increasingly toxic, it, it was really influential on me. And I really disliked how increasingly consumerist it was becoming how it drove very young people to spend vast amounts of money on things that they're not going to spend any time looking at you know within four months and how they were exploiting basically the labor of these people um, who just wanted you know to make a name for themselves on YouTube um, and I think I've always really that that always has weighed on me and I've always been afraid of that aspect of online communities. And so when I started um, getting involved in fountain pen communities and when I started uh, podcasting, when I started podcasting, I really like consciously wanted to push back against that. I And I think 
you know, that's my prejudices. That's what I bring to um, podcasting, this intense conservatism in a way um, and mm-hmm. resistance to um, really sponsorship in general and to taking any mm-hmm. money or products from um, brands. It, it took a while for us to really even take, uh, to start taking products for a review um, because I did mm. that, you know, that experience of being in um, beauty and perfume uh, just was seared into me. And I just, I could see that trend. I could see where it went. And I just, I really did not want to get, you know, bogged down in that um, because that's not what I, was online for, you know, I didn't want to suck young people into buying things that they didn't need. I didn't want to feed that. And I didn't want to waste my energy um, promoting things that, you know, I thought were useless. Um, and that's, I. some people think that's a incredibly, um, you know, backward and, uh, unsustainable and very privileged view. And I, I completely agree with certain parts of that. I think it's incredibly privileged um, that I can do this and that I can uphold, you know, I can try to keep to those um, guidelines that I've set for myself. But at the same time, I can't get away from my influences or my history, which is why, you know, I mention it. Sure. And um, I think it's really interesting because you've been there from the very start. You must have seen how this has sort of evolved. And I know that at the very beginning, you know, there was no money in podcasting. People just podcasted because they loved something so intensely. And they saw this platform that was new and exciting. And, um, you know, many people didn't even start listening to podcasts until like the last three, four years, because I think Mm -hmm. that's when podcast listenership just exploded. Um, you know, most people I know really did not know what podcasts were or how they worked until fairly recently. So, you know, as more listeners come on board, as more users come on board and as more corporations, you know, come on board, the, I, I've seen how that ecosystem changes and um, sometimes in ways that you don't particularly like. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on um how podcasting has changed and your own views about um, sponsorship, you know, about um, being involved in, um, I I don't even know how to describe it. Um, Like how do you keep from being um, a platform that is, that is not considerate of um, what the community values are. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you keep yourself rooted and really mindful of um, your audience? And, you know, having that point of view where, you know, if you don't want to be in this anymore, um, if you just want to step back, that's perfectly healthy. And I encourage you to do that. You know, how do you have that really healthy perspective on it? Yeah. Um, so your comments on, you know, how you saw like the, the perfume and makeup type of industry, um, go and kind of still go to this day. Um, like those concerns are valid. Um, and like, it's things I consider like sponsorships and advertising 
and the ability to have that platform, you know, that's, that's my privilege. You know, I, I, I am able to make a living through a lot of that, but it always comes in secondary to what I want to present or the story I want to tell or what the beliefs I have about how products should be presented, which is, you know, complete transparency and honesty and opinionated, right? Like, you know, you, you point out the good things, uh, and, and the bad things equally, right. And you don't play to sponsors and in the situation I'm in now, I'm fortunate to be able to call my own shots, but to your, you know, your makeup and, um, you know, influencer talk, you know, not everyone feels they can do that in the beginning, right? Because you're getting presented with like, all of a sudden you become popular, you're getting presented with all these opportunities, you know, here's my chance to make it. I guess it helped that I never went into it trying to make money from it. So my perspective is a little bit different. Not that I can take it or leave it because it's my job and I do need my job, but I have never been one to give up anything that I didn't want to do that wasn't like completely honest, completely transparent. And I used to get emails back in the day when I first started um, having ads or sponsorships on the blog. It's like, well, I can't read your blog anymore because now I can't trust your opinion because you have an advertiser. And I was like, well, I mean, that I, I understand your opinion. Um, you know, it's I, my opinion is that that's short sighted. Like you either you you trust the person you're spending time with or you don't. Like I think that's where the transaction happens. And if you think that I'm swayed by an advertising dollar, then I'm not doing my job very well, right? Because my goal is to present it unbiased, even though you can't completely remove bias out of reviews. Um, we used to have to fight that fight a lot in the stationary space in the beginning. Um, like in the middle when, um, you know, there were a lot more stationary blogs coming and I would just read endless things about bias and bias because they got this pin for free or that's have that sponsorship. And I was like, I, I get it. Like, I cannot have that argument against that. Like, I understand. But what I'm here to say is I have a body of work that I've spent a lot of time on to represent my thoughts in a fashion that I hope makes sense to a lot of people. And it's not fair of me to tell that one person who's arguing with me about bias, who's only read two of my articles to let that necessarily change how I do, um, you know, my, my reviews or my podcasting or anything like that. When I know myself, what I've put into this and how I consider being accurate and open and transparent um, with everything that those things stopped bothering me like a long time ago. But 
then there's still the aspect of like the advertising and sponsorship. That's almost like a, like a, a, a whole different topic. And I have a membership program for a reason. It's because I'm pro advertising, but I do what I don't want to say I do little of it. I have plenty of advertisers, but I have my limits, right? I don't overrun my site with advertisers. Um, you know, I haven't had a new sidebar advertiser in multiple years because I don't allow more than four, right? Like, like that's just it. I don't want 10. Like, I don't, I think that's a bad, you know, reader experience. Um, we limit who can advertise on the pen addict. If we have a new, you know, request to advertise, on the blog, I mean, on the podcast, Mike and I get on, get on Slack, discuss the pros and cons, and we say no plenty. So it's trying to find that right balance because on one hand, it's my job. I'm very clear about why I do this, but I find more joy out of having a membership program where someone could support me directly and then maybe, you know, down the line, we can kind of shift where like that incoming dollar is coming from, you know, maybe we could have less advertisements, you know, maybe, you know, people like to hear from me directly more. And um, they like that type of, you know, knowing that I'm doing this, I, I'm in the for profit business, right? I, I This is, I'm just, I'm very clear with everyone when I discuss that, like, but the way I've built what I've built is just with the utmost clarity and transparency of what our transaction is, right? Like I want you to feel comfortable. You're getting uninfluenced information from me. And if that's the majority of feedback I get, like I haven't gotten the advertising bad or your biased comments in years. And I don't know if that's because of how I present things and I'm willing to, you know, tell an advertiser that their product is bad publicly, um, you know, has gained me, you know, that level of respect or, I don't know if that's the right word, but just that level of openness and honesty just kind of leads it. So it builds upon itself. Like everything I do has to fit in that same bucket, right? I can't do one thing on the blog and then not believe that, you know, when we're dealing with the podcast, it's all the same to me. And I try to treat them all the same. Um, did that yeah, make yeah, sense? Yeah. Did I answer Absolutely. most of that? Well, you said two things um, that I think are really important. One is balance. You know, the balance between um, advertising and then just, you know, random promotion of things, you know, because there's limit to how much advertising you can have, as you said, but there's no limit mm -hmm. to the number of, you know, small up and comers, small shops, small web stores, small makers that you can promote free of charge on your podcast. And it's about striking that balance, you know, what you have to promote yep. and what you really, really are driven to promote and what you want to, um, you know, not be locked into supporting just because there are sponsors who can afford sponsorship, but also mm -hmm. um, encouraging, you know, the new, the, the newer, smaller brands so that they may can mm -hmm. maybe one day become sponsors. 
Um, yeah, I have a I have a fun I have a funny story about sponsorship that just came up in the past month. Um, I'm very the one thing that I do for other bloggers and other people, other podcasters, Instagram people is like I post like how much I charge for advertising. I have a page; it lists a dollar amount, so people can get this idea of you know okay here's what brad charges if someone comes to me you know and i i'm i'm always talking with other people like hey i'm doing this for the first time what are the questions i should think about but this funny thing happened where i was working a brand emailed me and they basically said we looked at your um sponsorship page and saw that you charge $300 for a weekly sponsorship and we just giggled, right? It's like no money to these brands. Like, and like, I charge a lot for the stationary space. In the grand scheme of advertising, it's practically free, right? Does that make sense? So that just happened to me like a month ago. Great. It was pretty, bang for it was pretty funny. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, this is like, you know, I'm not out here, you know, trying to trying to squeeze every every last dollar I can out of things just because I can. Um, I had a friend tell me on a stream not that long ago that you're t- that said they said, Brad, you're terrible at capitalism. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, I, it's it goes both ways. I You can't just always take and have a happy life. I, I don't operate that way. Well, that, that's the other thing I wanted to draw, um, I wanted to comment on, which is this idea of building um, a reputation, not, not a reputation, a record, um, establishing your bona fides, um, having a body of work that you can point people to and say, you know, this is me, you know, take it or leave it, judge me by my work, you know, not by whatever the newest thing is that I happen to be talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's why I wanted to really go back to how you started the blog and also the podcast, because I think establishing that mm-hmm. credential is important um, because that's that's part and parcel of who you are and my, what you are currently able to do uh, because you bring that. It's an advantage. I completely understand that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but and you also would understand why a lot of um, people who maybe just starting their blog or starting their podcast can't take advantage of that you know um if they need that sponsorship or if they think sponsorship is important to have to be successful Mm -hmm. up front maybe maybe they don't have time to build up that volume um that presence that body of work to justify or, or to um or to really learn about how to balance their content, how to balance um, sponsorship versus your own interests. Um, and I, I really think it's valuable um, for us to have this sort of a talk because, you know, this is where mm-hmm. <laughs> the nitty gritty comes out. You know, this is what really goes on yeah. behind the scenes and what we're thinking about all the time because making a podcast and I don't think a lot of listeners really understand this unless they've actually done it themselves. Um, keeping a regular blog, um, a podcast, whatever it is, it's work, you know, it's work you do because you love it, but it's still work. And, um, I'm a, I'm a millennial, I'm an older millennial. Um, and that, 
makes me somewhat more privileged than, you know, Gen X or whatever it is that's younger than me, but not as privileged as, you know, my parents' generation, those who had, generally speaking, more stable jobs. But um, the fact that, you know, a lot of our hobbies, they make, they take up money and they also um, are unable to make us money. Um, That's a concern for lots of people um, my age and younger. And so... I think it's really important to have your voice there um, to establish that there are certain standards you can hold yourself up to um, and that sponsorship is not necessarily a bad thing, um, but there are ways to do it so that you don't break the trust that you have with your listenership. And um, maybe sometimes it's worth building that trust spending that time to invest in that trust to begin with up front um, before you dive into it. Does that make any sense? I, and, and I know that's privileged, uh, <laughs> but that that's just I yeah. think, how it works, unfortunately. Yeah. And I mean, if we're going to talk about privilege, we should be clear about my situation. Um, I'm married and my spouse has a good job with health insurance. Would I have made the same decision to quit my job, you know, all these years ago, if I didn't have that privilege in my life to be able to focus on this, right, and actually make a run at at making this like a real job. So I'm very cognizant of the benefits that I've had with, you know, like certain life situations like that, right? It makes a difference. And I try to be clear with everyone when we talk about these things and, you know, people you know, if people are saying, well, like, oh, Brad does this for a living, it must be doing like super well. It's like, I mean, yeah, I I do fine, but like not, there's no one thing I do that if I was single would like afford me a living, right? Like I do the blog and I do the podcast and I have a membership program and I'm part of two other stationary maker businesses and like all those things allow me (laughs) to do. And I've been fortunate to, to get involved and, and be, be part of all this. But Um, back to like your, the, the beginner comment, I always, I get a lot of emails saying, Hey, I want to start a blog, but I'm worried, like I'm too late or I'm not unique enough or any of that. And I've always, always just totally supported those people and saying, just start doing it because until like you have this baseline out there of what people can expect to you expect from you, you know, that's when you'll just kind of start deciding whether you like doing this or not, whether you like the feedback, um, whether you like the community, all those types of things. Um, you, you just have to start doing it. And I'm always one to be, I love sharing someone's first blog post, right? Like I love sharing someone's first podcast. Um, because I would love it if someone shared my first thing too. Right. I'm not going to be, I'm not the person that says, well, let's see if you're established before, like, we, you know, figure out, like, if is this going to be any good? I'm like, no, let's go for it. How can I help you? You know, can I help you figure out the topics? Can I, you know, a lot of people ask for, you know, like, how, what type of voice should I write with? Like, should I write about specs or should I have an opinion? Right. Those things matter in like a review space, like, we're in. So, like, I try to guide people as, as much as I can and share as much as I can. Um, and, yeah, I 
it it only makes the the entire community better to have just more like there is the, the stationary business is pretty small like i've it's come into focus to me like really just over the past couple of years one really how small it is in the grand scheme of business dollars like worldwide, right? Like we couldn't touch the makeup industry with a 10 foot pole, right? As far as like availability, but it, it doesn't have, who cares, right? Like, are you having fun doing this? Are you enjoying the people that you meet? Are you having, are you discovering a new pen and a new paper that gives you joy to use when, you know, you've just got enough work and it's been terrible and you need, you need, you need a break and can you grab a pen and a piece of paper and get your thoughts out and improve your mental health? Like those types of things, answering those types of questions are like the most important thing to me. So, you know, like I, I definitely want the ads and want the sponsorships and, you know, want those types of things to allow me to keep doing the things, but I try to, use that thing, use those things to push, not like an agenda, but just try to represent like a healthy community, you know, overall and, you know, try to try to give more than I take and try to shine a light on anyone and everyone who's excited about a new pen. And I don't know, that's, that's how I approach it. Um, yeah, I I don't know if there was a, a, a question there that I missed, but I just got off on a tangent. <laughs> I, I definitely think it's it's really complicated. Um, and it is. Yeah. I like I could ramble for like an hour straight mm-hmm. just on like we could say you could say, OK, go. And <laughs> it would just be an hour of just ra- me uh, saying random stuff about business and blogging. Like I think about this stuff all the time. Um that am I doing the right thing? And I, Lord knows I've made so many mistakes in my time and I'm not immune from making mistakes. And, you know, I've learned from those mistakes. I've learned how to handle mistakes. I've learned how to, you know, accept things and, and, you know, do better the next time. And, you know, by and by no means perfect, but, and I try to do all that stuff publicly, right? Like, like if I, I make a mistake, I don't hide from it and solve it. Like I publicly accept it and solve it and things like that. So, you know, it's just, I try to build the, build the things, you know, I want to be involved in and, and try to be a positive force in that. Yeah. I think you, you said something, um, which is really, really true, which is how insignificant really in dollar amounts, um, the fountain pen mm-hmm. in particular yeah. world is. I, I know it's very yeah. different in terms of ballpoint and in gel pens and so on, but there's also a lot less diversity in mm-hmm. those industries. Yeah. Whereas I think very. the very smallness um, of fountain pens, relatively speaking, is what allows these individual makers to actually have a presence and what... Uh, what allows the community to be small enough that um, that podcasters and bloggers can both review, you know, the the one person working out of their shed and also, you know, like Lamy Pilot and Sailor. Those two things are not um, at odds 
because the world is、mm-hmm. so small、um, and people are,、yep. you know, sampling from all these different bowls and they can. And it also is what allows the negative feedback to actually hit. If you are a sellout、mm, as a company, if you really try to gouge the consumer, the community will, will you know, lash out. It will bounce.、Yeah. It will, you know,、um, negatively reward you <laughs>、um, <laughs> because, because it is so small, you know, because influence、mm-hmm. really matters. And because we have that long memory、um, as a community. So you have to be careful the steps that you take. And because、yeah. there's so little money, the pot is you know, relatively small,、yes. you really can't go into it just to make money. I think that's what pilot,、um, pilot on its end of the industry, I think that's what it has right. You know, it makes its money from、mm-hmm. like pens. Uh, pens,、um, gel inks, you know, rollerballs, and so on. But it really takes passion to make fountain pens because、mm-hmm. it's just not a big market. That, that is still the way it is. And I think it was on your podcast or maybe on Tokyo Fountain Pens where I think you met, or maybe it was Mike who actually quoted what the、um, income or the Gross revenue that Lamy had for all of 2020 or something. And the sum was、yes. just, you know, it's tiny, really, when you think about it. shocked When、me. you think、yeah. about how influential Lamy is in our community, it's one of the bigger、right. brands.、Um, I think it was like 30 million or something or 300 it was million. Like, it was like, a, I, th- I want to say it was like 120. Yeah. Because、um, I, made, I made my guess and he was reasonably in the ballpark, but. I thought it was just astronomically low. Like, I wouldn't have been in the ballpark of a guess. Like, if you said Brad guess, I don't know what I would have guessed. Not like a billion dollars or something, but not 120 million. I think I, I could be wrong.、Um, our listeners will let us know. <laughs> but、um, <laughs> it seems like it was around that. But, like, you said it exactly perfectly just a second ago. And it was the most, I got super excited when you said this. We treat companies like Lamy. And the person in their garage equally, right? That's like this to me, that's like the same exact thing. Like, there's no difference in that. And I love that, right?、Um, you know, I might hold Lamy's feet to the fire a little bit more because of their size, but just on a strict, like, product to product level, like, they're on the, the same playing field. And I think that's one of the cool things about our, our community.、Mm-hmm. Absolutely.、Um, so, What was the one moment that, I mean, you talked about healthcare, which is you know, one side of it, but what was the one moment <laughs> that you realized, you know, this is, not just, this is not just a hustle? Like, I can actually make a living out of this. Yeah. So I, I was trying to nail this down because I left my job and started p a n a t i c full time January 1st, 2016. But obviously, the decision. To work towards that had to come way before that. And I think it was about a two year process to where I was starting to take up all my vacation time at work going to pen shows. <laughs> And then at those pen shows, I was doing th- other things like, you know, a vendor would have me come work for them. And like pay my way, right? Like come and work for us. And you come hang out at the show. We'll pay for you to come. You know, you can hang out at the booth. 
those types of things. And those opportunities like kind of kept coming and was like burning up all my vacation and like keeping me away from my family. You know, after you do it four times a year, that's a lot, <laughs> you know, taking, taking those times. And that was at the time where I guess um, we had started to get a little bit of podcast advertising and that was like, so like 2014 ish. So maybe two in that two to three year period after, you know, we started, we get a little, little podcast revenue and then I'd have a little bit of advertising revenue. And then at the, also at the same time I had knock the pen case company we launched, launched in 2013. So, but like 2014, I'm doing all these things, right? Like things are starting to like escalate and I'm still working full time. And at the time I was working third shift. So like my, I was getting, you know, pretty worn out just with, you know, that my schedule, my pen addict and knock work. And I started like my, my, my wife actually brought it up. It's just like, can you like ever do anything with this? Like permanently? Like, could this be a job? And <laughs> cause she's, she sees that she's, she's party to the train wreck around the house <laughs> of all the mess I have. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, there's like, it's like, I can, I make some money. Yeah. Like I, there's, there's, I'm making money doing this and do you like it? Yeah, of course I, I like it. So I, it took me, so like in that 2014, like it kind of, I thought about it. Right. And then over like the next year or two, it's like, well, what do the numbers actually look like, you know, in relation to what we need to live and like what I'm making, what I would be giving up. And I decided over those two years, just kept working on things and, you know, things picking up that if I got to the point where not the day I quit, but like within a year, like after I quit, like once I committed to it full time, could I make half of what I was making? at my day job. And that would be, that was the math that allowed us, you know, to sustain, you know, just our life, you know, to allow us just to not have any like drastic changes in our life for me to quit my job and also have the benefits of, you know, not having the day job and having, you know, more responsibilities with the kids and things like that. So it got to a point about, you know, some, somewhere in early 2015, mid 2015, I was like, I think I can, I think I can do this, you know, obviously not day one, but I think give me a year or two and I, I think I can get there. And I like, we just talked about it and talked about it and ran all the numbers and had all the, you know, the late night discussions. Like, is this a terrible idea? Um, no one in my family thought it was a good idea. Um, you know, it's like, you have kids, you have insurance. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, but I, I, I think this can be good. I think I can do this. And, you know, I, I decided to like turn in my notice at, at work in like the fall of 2015 saying I'd be leaving like December 1st and give me a month to, you know, like put the final touches on going live essentially January 1st as this is my job. And, um, best decision I've ever made. I'm, I'm, it worked. It, it, uh, it worked. <laughs> so that's the best thing, best I can say. And that's been five, over five years now and, um, no regrets whatsoever. I remember listening to that episode of the podcast and I was thinking, good. 
Oh my goodness. I was thinking, this is so brave. <laughs> um, because, I, I mean, it's one thing to do it if you're like 20, but a different yeah, yeah. thing entirely to do it when you have, you know, probably a mortgage, you have kids, you have responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think you entered into it, like you said, in a really strategic and um, it sounds like yeah. very calculated. Well, calculated yeah. in the sense that you you really did have to weigh up um, the budget yeah, and how yeah, it yeah. worked. There was no, there was no jumping was off the cliff and yeah. hoping the... Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I yeah, really... I mean, it's it's been a good... It's been a good ride. I'm I'm glad I did it. Um, yeah, like I said, zero regrets. I'm that first probably three to six months was just full on stress. Like super, am I doing the right thing? Not ever. I never thought. Oh boy, I made a mistake. But this was all new to me. Like talk about like a career change. Uh, you know. Of course, I knew what I was doing, like having a blog and <laughs> posting reviews and things like that. But making it your job, that's a whole different animal. And then asking, you know, people to, you know, sign up for a blog membership direct, like give you money directly. Like that's I don't take that kind of stuff lightly. Right. So like those first few months were, were stressful. And like I still take that stuff like highly, highly seriously. Like it's a big deal for people to support you. So turning it into the day job and um, making sure that, you know, you had all your bases covered, that it wasn't going to be this impulsive decision that would backfire spectacularly and um, probably prove all your family (laughs) correct. Um, That's (laughs) one thing. But did you also um, have this worry at the back of your mind at any time that, you know, maybe this will lead me to love what I do a little less? Um, you know, because now it's something that I have to do. It's Mm. I'm really, I've got skin in the game now, you know, this is my livelihood. I think there's always that worry, but I don't know that the complete thought of that has ever entered my mind. Um, I think like that was a lot of people's concern in the beginning, you know, besides like, you know, can you afford to feed your family stuff was, okay, you're taking your hobby and turning it into your job. Is that just going to ruin everything that you think about what you have done in the past? Like, is that going to change it so much that you will end up hating it and be, you know, on LinkedIn in a year looking for another job. And it's never really crossed my mind more than just that's what people say kind of thing. Well, as I'm even as I'm asking it, I'm I'm thinking I'm having second thoughts. I'm thinking this is ridiculous. I mean, we don't ask the same <laughs> question of you know, artists, of musicians, mm. of writers, you know, just because you feel like you have to write, does it make you feel like mm. more likely to burn out because you actually have to put out mm. a book? I mean, that's such a ridiculous yeah. question to ask of someone, <laughs> right? And- yeah, but like it it comes with its own set of challenges, right? It's not there. I mean, there's awful days. There's days where I can't function. There's days where I'm stressed to the core. But I've said this several times, probably over the last couple of years to Mike um, and on the podcast that I am, 
I like what I do so much, I can't not do it. That's how I know I'm in a good place with all of this, you know, whatever this is, right? Um, I would miss it dearly if this wasn't my job. I think I was, God, this is going to sound terrible. I think I was, I think I was like made to do this. Like this is like, I was like, I was the pin guy before there was like the pen addict, right? Like I was, you know, the weird family member that wanted to go to the stationery store. And like, there's a bunch of people like this. And, you know, I was the guy that would bring his own stationery into the office and people would, you know, look at you side-eyed. And there's a lot of people like this. I also like to be on the internet and share things and learn things. And I combine those two things and it's worked itself out into this. Like, this is just a continuation of who I've always been. So it's never been like a consideration that the actual now like work job part of it would ruin everything else for me. It has its own challenges. Like I'm, like I said, I am not going to lie. Like, I mean, there's days where I think not what am I doing, but like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? you know, that, that whole set of decisions, but never a boy, I can't do this anymore. Thought ever, never. Do you have a preference? Like, do you have a baby? Um, is it the blog? Is it the podcast? Is it your Instagram? Oh, is it your Twitch channel? I mean, what is it that you, that you get most enjoyment out of doing? <laughs> that's a terrible question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking you to pick your favorite child. so mean. <laughs> Um, I actually have an answer and like, I was not prepared for this, but I, I have a definitive answer. Mm -hmm. Um, the pen addict members, pen addict membership, that's because your, that that's is your a newsletter? one to one. That's my newsletter. Um, and that's what I started. That's what I set myself up to do day one of my new career. And that's the most one to one relationship I have with readers, listeners, viewers. That's the most important thing to me. Um, I take it extremely serious. Um, I have a heavy amount of commitment to that more so than anything. Although I, I, if I'm in something, I'm, I'm committed fully. Like we don't miss podcasts. I don't miss blog posts and things like that, but that's, that's my baby. That's my favorite thing. That's the thing I'm most proud of that I've all these years of doing what I do. I was able to say, I'm leaving my job to do this full time. Will you support me directly with your money? That is super hard to do. And I feel like I've been successful enough with that, that, like my visions for that came true. Like that's what I wanted to happen. And I made it happen with the support of the people who buy a membership to the pen addict. And, um, I am definitely the most proud of that. Yeah. I mean, this is an easy question. Um, what is, <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of these things, they take up so much time. You know, you, you make mm -hmm. things, you design things. You also work on this newsletter, yeah, you yeah. work on podcasts. All these things are really time consuming. And do you have mm. 
spare time, is there an aspect of you that's not the pen addict? Um, I know you talk about one day maybe yeah. having a baseball podcast. So that that's also an aspect, <laughs> I guess, of your online um, yeah identity. But yeah, I, how do you disassociate yourself? I would never that? have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, just trying to be present for my family, like that's it. Um, whatever that means, right? Like eating dinner together. Like, honestly, in these day and times, like, that's a big deal for, like, a family of four to get together for dinner. You know, even though we're now together more because of COVID, but I think you get the the general idea of making sure that I'm off when I'm off. That is still a monstrous challenge for me um, because of the, the different things I have going on and the different types of schedules they require. And they're kind of, you know, I really try to segment like my week accordingly to fit the right things in the right buckets. But it's like, sometimes like the buckets got to move around a little bit and you try to do that with, without affecting like things like, you know, eating dinner with your family or going to a kid's baseball game or, you know, whatever it, whatever it could be. Um, so there's definitely a non-pen addict, Brad. It's been more challenging recently, probably like in the past year, I think. Maybe because I haven't been able to like travel as much so, or like had any like real breaks or vacations or like reboots time, you know, because, you know, with the, the global pandemic, we're just kind of we're just kind of home. Like, you know, luckily, we've all been safe and healthy and plan on continuing to be that way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I tie up a lot of what I'll say. The one big challenge I'm having right now is, is the thinking about work when I'm not working, right. When I'm, you know, say if my day ends at five o'clock, whatever, like I don't have set times that I work every day, but like if I'm done for the day at five o'clock, I can do whatever I want. Except the problem is like, I think about, hmm, I wonder what's in my email or, <laughs> or should I prep this other thing? Or do I need photography for this thing? Um, that's been a little bit more of a challenge recently for some reason. It didn't always used to be that way, but um, I'm just busy. I'm, I'm glad to be busy, um, but I do have to, I, I have to work more at turning it off. So I'm actively working on that always, but I, I I'm doing pretty good i could be admittedly doing better do you set yourself like a five-year target or do you just take it each opportunity as it comes yeah i just take it as it comes i do think as i as i get older and you know um especially in the in the in the internet game that's always a young young person's game um like i think about can i see myself doing this in 10 years absolutely can I see myself doing this in 15 years? I'm not so sure about that, right? I feel like I got I feel like I have another strong 10 years in it. Um, but I don't ever set like those those definitive long-term goals or try to hit like some uh, future target. Um, you know, I'm I'm rarely more than a year out on like trying to plan things and figure things out and what I'm working towards and then we we hit those targets and we figure out the next ones. Actually, I've been. This is something specific to um, US and your experience of the pandemic. But what is the show um, 
environment looking like right now? I mean, I know last year a lot of the shows were cancelled, but is there any attempts to make them virtual or um, is it looking like they'll come back this year in a sort of a um, maybe a safe and reduced way? Is that conversation happening? Yeah, so towards the end of last year, a couple shows figured out the virtual thing and try to have online virtual shows. Um, I haven't talked with enough of those promoters to understand, like, do they feel that they were successful um, and worth the the time and effort? Um, My gut tells me no, but I don't have that for a fact. That's just my gut feeling. But like, it was good. It's obviously good to have like, but you know, what, what is that balance there of, of effort and results? I don't know. Um, This year, we haven't, let's see, we haven't had any shows this year. Some of, let's see, the first shows that I know of will start happening in June, which is the Raleigh Pin Show, which is in North Carolina. And then both of the two big shows in the U.S., San Francisco and Washington, D.C., are both in August and both are planning on right now going forward. Um as shows and then we'll start to see a couple more in the fall. Um, so the, the shows that were planned for the earlier part of the year have mostly just said, you know, we're out for this year. A couple have moved dates from say like may, like Chicago moved from may to September, right. To try to get it in. Um, I'm not personally, I'm not anxious to go to any shows this year. Um, because it would just all be air travel for me. And I'm just not interested in that right now, even though like I'm fully vaccinated. Um, I'm past my two weeks. I'm like, I'm as vaccinated as I'm going to be. It, I am a little uncomfortable traveling, um, around other people right now. Um, and probably for the year, if I lived in San Francisco, and I could drive to the show, I would probably go for a day. But, you know, in the past where I'd fly in on Thursday night and leave Monday morning, like that doesn't sound super appealing to me right now. (laughs) But um, shows are starting to pick back up. And uh, hopefully by next year, we'll get back into like a a good solid routine. Yeah. Um, In in Sydney, I know the organizers, I think their plan is to... um, So last year we had a break. And Melbourne also, the Melbourne Pen Show also took a break. And I think this year the mm-hmm. idea, the plan is to return probably a little bit later in the year, in October, November, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully um, that will go ahead. It, it's very different for us because um, our shows, um, they're very insulated to begin with. You know, um, mm-hmm. we don't get very many international people. <laughs> Makes sense because we're so mm-hmm. far away from everyone. But even um, <laughs> even having vendors coming from Asia, which is like the nearest large pen market, is still, you know, 10 hours. Um, still an expensive yeah. proposition for them. So really, we're just talking about local um, retailers, local visitors. Um, and I think as long as no flare-ups happen locally, we should be good to go. And um, yep. But it's been interesting looking at what's happening around the world. I know in Japan, a lot of um, the shows have been happening, but, you know, with Mm -hmm. attempts at 
um, social distancing and limiting numbers and so on, but just looking at some of the live streams and the photos, I don't know how much that's happening, but at least everyone's wearing a mask, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> given the, the age of, you know, some of the people who work and who are um, invested in this industry, it, you know, you really don't want <laughs> to be participant of something that is risky. Um very true. And that's something that I've also been thinking about as people ask me, when is Sydney going to start having its, you know, monthly pen meets again? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, the risk is very, very low in Sydney right now. But on the other hand, you know, we have members who are, you know, in their 60s and their 70s or older. And I don't want to take that responsibility, you know, um, me speaking from my vantage point, I don't want to be taking that responsibility if someone, um, you know, misbehaves, if someone doesn't let us know that, you know, they've been in a hotspot recently, if I don't want to mm-hmm. be in charge of policing that situation, that's not what I signed up exactly. for, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be the policeman of anyone's bad behavior. Um, that's just too much stress and I'd rather not have to deal with it, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so we've, I think, held back on that, at least until most people, you know, above 60 are vaccinated, which might take yeah. a while in Australia. That's just yeah, how it yeah. is. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think that's the right decision. I mean, like there's a there's a comfort level with being like responsible for, you know, people showing up and like you got to take that stuff seriously. And it sounds like it's, it's the right decision. <sighs> well, <laughs> this has been such um, a rewarding conversation and I'm, I'm glad. It's been fun. Yeah, I'm, being, I'm glad you've been able to feel like you can have this conversation with me and that um, you can mm-hmm. be so open with your answers. But this is a very easy question to finish with. <laughs> um, what is the very best thing about being the pen addict? And I steal this question um, unshamedly <laughs> off Ali Ward from the Ologies podcast, which I love. But she always posits this to the scientists that she talks with. And um, I think you, because you've, you've been the pen addict for so long, um, I think mm. you're the definitive pen addict now. So what is the best <laughs> thing about being the pen addict? And what is the worst? So I, so I was thinking about this. I've never been asked these questions before, just so you know. <laughs> and um, I, you, you did have a show doc and you did have this in there. And I was like, well, I have to think about this. The best, the best thing is easy. And it, I mean, it took me like a second. Then I was like, oh, I, the best thing is easy. I have friends all over the world now. And I don't mean like acquaintances. I mean like friends that would be there for me type of friends that I never would have had this opportunity if I didn't, you know, start the pen addict and, you know, it, then it became what it's become that I've gotten to meet so many people from so many different cultures from all around the world and to actually have these close relationships with people like where I live, like I'm super, I'm like out in the country. Like I don't have, it's this, this is like such the p- typical panatic introvert answer is like, <laughs> I don't have any real life friends. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't, it's like, it's like my, it's like my kids, friends, parents, right. Who like wouldn't know, you know, what a fountain pen is, you know, if I was, if I was using <laughs> one around them, 
but I have like this whole group of friends that like, I can talk like, like real personal things with. And if, you know, I was able to, you know, even if I haven't met them in person, a lot of them I luckily have, but even, you know, I could show up and we could go out to dinner and we would feel like we knew each other just from being part of this community. Um, easily, easily the best part about doing this, just having that opportunity to meet so many great people and to become friends and be part of each other's lives. I like, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Um, the worst part, man, that, that one's actually still hard to this time. And, and I, like, I only, I actually relate it back to like work, <laughs> like the work part of it, not the work itself, but the challenges of work, the way I explain it. It's, it's kind of like writer's block, but in, and you kind of alluded to it, this comment earlier, I'm only as good as my next idea for the blog, for the podcast, for making a pen case, for making a pen, for making a product, for like literally every day. I'm only as good as the next thing that I make. And some days I can't think of anything or some days I think the thing that I made is terrible and getting beyond that. Like, I don't know that I'll ever get beyond that. That's probably good to a degree, but I would like to do better. Like, you know, I can have runs where those types of thoughts don't come in my head for months. And then I can have a week where like, everything I'm doing is wrong. People are going to hate this, (laughs) you know? So that's just like, that's your general work struggles. You know, you don't want to say like, Oh, this is, Oh, I have it so bad, Diana. Oh, this is terrible. But it's, you know, it's like, that's a challenge for me. Like I'm, I think about that. Like I'm only as good as the next bit of output that I have, whatever that is. Um, and you know, I've tried to try to work, try to come up with different ways to solve that feeling, you know, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, but you know, I'm I'm up for the challenge. I'm still here, so we're gonna, we're gonna keep figuring out the next. <laughs> yeah, what you're talking figuring out about, the next idea. What you're talking about is just the challenge of being a content creator who doesn't want to rest on their laurels. Yeah, right. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Like I have no intention of stopping, and I I still want to like, you know, hold up what I've built. Like, I'm proud of it, like straight up, like I'm happy, I'm proud and I, I wanted to, to continue like that's it. And so like, I have to, like, it takes work and like some days I don't have it. <laughs> well, I'm, I for one look forward to following you for the next 10 years and seeing good where you take it, where the industry evolves along with you and how we you know as content creators um can help this you know grow and find new voices and bring more exciting things into reality i I think that's the best part of it and the most exciting part of it and i'm so proud um to be able to be even on the same episode as you um and to be able to talk to you like this I, I really am. Um, I could not have imagined it, you know, when we first started podcasting in our little niche down under, you know, with our like 50 listeners 
Um, so mm. thank you so much, Brad. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope I'm listening to you and the rest of the nib section in Fountain Pens Oceana for the next 10 years. <laughs> myself. So uh, y'all, y'all are awesome. Uh, it's a great perspective. I've learned so much from all of y'all. I, I enjoy uh, your podcast every time I hear it. And I enjoy talking to you you know, on Twitter and in other ways and talking about non-pin stuff and uh, just how awesome you are in general. So keep being awesome. Oh, thank you so much. And I hope we can maybe meet one day in person. Sharon and I were initially I planning so to come too. to San Francisco last year. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe 2022, fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, we'll have to fly down Hopefully. in the middle of the year for that. Um, okay. okay. So this is one thing that we always ask our guests and our podcasters at the end of the episode. And that's because, mm. you know, we all love things outside of pens and stationery. So we ask them for a recommendation and it does not have to be really defined as pen or stationery related. So it can be anything. Is there anything you want to shout out or draw attention to? Yeah, I feel like my answer to this is going to be like met with a bunch of roll eyes emojis because like it's not new or novel but i still get complete pleasure out of ted lasso on apple plus i've started my third watch last night (laughs) um (laughs) watch through of it it's still as hilarious as the first time and i you know, I didn't watch it in the beginning. A bunch of people told me I should watch it. It's like, okay, it's it's not what you think. I'm like, okay. And I fell in love with it. I watched it by myself. And I told my wife, who would have zero interest in it, just in like the, the premise of it. Um, I was like, you got to watch this. And she now wants to leave me for Ted Lasso. <laughs> so I don't know if that was a good decision or not. But it's just this, it's a, it's a real joyous, happy show with like some real life like family serious decision underpinnings and they just execute it perfectly and it's like one of those guilty pleasures that you know that'll be that will be once i ever start traveling again i generally rewatch stuff when i travel mm-hmm. because it's less stressful <laughs> like i get very anxious when i travel yes. so yes. i'll watch the same I'll, I'll have the same one movie I'll watch every time. That'll be the thing that I would just watch every time because I know it's, it's like, it's like comfort food television for me. So uh, that's, that's my answer for that. I haven't seen Ted Lasso, but I've heard um, a lot of really great reviews um, from critics yeah. about it. I know it's about sports and that's about yeah. the limit of my knowledge. Yeah. But it's the, in the, in the, it's, around sports and it's sports based you know stories but the premise of the show is more about like personal relationships and you know um self-belief and goals and really not like soccer related at all um it's just you know that's the basis around it but it's it's a really it was surprising um, for what it is like you don't have to be a sports fan to I think get a lot out of what that show offers okay well I, I like I like comedies um, I like comedy yes. dramas so this is something that I have to check out thanks for the rec um, yep, yep. I have two recommendations sure. one is right. quick um, it's flu season is starting in Australia so our listeners in 
down under who are entering into autumn and winter go get your flu shots um i had mine last Mm. week it's a painless quick thing to do and um it will make your life so much less stressful in the next few months (laughs) yes um the other thing is uh i listen to a lot of podcasts and i've been listening to podcasts as i said for over a decade now and one thing that i also like listening to is because i I don't read as much as i used to so um i feel like i get a lot more general knowledge from podcasts than i do from like reading and um like books and articles so much so one podcast i really enjoy for this sort of general knowledge is um it's hosted by Chris Hayes, who's I think he's like a TV journalist. I, I don't watch much TV, but I, I know that's what he does. But he has this podcast called Why Is This Happening with Chris Hayes? And he talks very in depth with um, people on a range of topics. Um, you know, he talks with journalists, writers, um, critics, academics, um, politicians and so on just a lot of very different people and from this perspective of being both a journalist but also a like a social scientist sort of um he's 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 a very i think curious mind about a lot of different things which is what you really need in a journalist and um the latest episode which i really really enjoyed is an interview that he did with the outgoing ceo of wikimedia which is the um, non-profit behind Wikipedia. Um, and as, you know, someone who was there in the very early days of the internet, even though I was very young at the time and I wasn't very involved in it, but I do remember those early, incredibly um, starry-eyed, idealistic um, times when it felt like everything was free you know like podcasting was free blogging was free (laughs) wikimedia was free everything was online (laughs) and it was free and you weren't bombarded you know with um these algorithms detecting whether you were um, interested in cooking, how old you were, whether you were pregnant, God, um, things like that. You know, you didn't feel like you were being spied on by your media at, at every um, at every channel. So I, I really love the values of Wikipedia. And I've also really loved how it's sort of evolved and grown with us. And like, kind of like um, the pen addict, it's sort of um, very much a creation of its time. You know, it, it, it arose at that very specific time um, in the life of the internet, and it's sort of grown with its audience um, over the decade or so, or the years that it's been around. And I think what I took out of this very interesting conversation with um, Wikimedia CEO, Catherine Mayer, um, <coughs> who's been with them, I think, since 2016 or so, is how even an organisation like Wikimedia, which we take so much for granted, really does have to um, change. It has to evolve. It makes conscious efforts to be more diverse. It makes conscious efforts to um, not be beholden to, um, you know, like Facebook to all these other conglomerates, um, which don't want to cannibalize it, but, you know, maybe um, want to use it um, and take advantage of it. And it's such a interesting, I don't want to call it a relic because it is so alive and present, but it is such a 
creation of its time. And it's almost like a legacy of those values from the early days of the internet when, um, you know, you could find anything and people were willing to contribute their time to making something for other people. And I love that shared ethos of collaboration and um, mutual mutual love of something and I think that's you know what we are trying to build as well um through that you know the pen community as well it's part and parcel of that whole thing um and I think she um Catherine Mayer she comes at it from this very interesting perspective of you know being responsible for holding the reins and making sure this thing continues to exist um, and making the structural changes necessary from the inside to ensure that it has a continued presence and it continues to grow and change. Um, and I think from an organizational perspective, from like a online perspective, from human perspective, all of that is really, really interesting to me. And um, it's a really fascinating conversation for anyone who's interested about the internet and about social media and about um, knowledge and how knowledge should be free. <laughs> so um, I, this is the podcast. Uh, why is it happening? Why is this happening? Sorry. And the episode is from April 13th. It's called The Endurance of Wikipedia with Catherine Mayer. That's my recommendation. Sounds amazing. I wrote it down. I also wrote down Ologies, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. I am supposed to have been listening to that because it sounds like perfect <laughs> oh, for me. Oh, it's so good. And then I, for I forgot to subscribe and you said it and I've written that down as well. So yes, adding soon. Well, you, you, you said you like to watch video, um, movies and shows that you've already seen before on planes. I used to travel quite a lot internationally and I always like, like to listen to podcasts um, when I'm on a plane. And often I will fall asleep on a plane listening to a podcast <laughs> and then wake up and I have to listen to it all over again. Um, that's that's my yep. relationship with podcast. Um, so. Yeah, I, a lot of our podcast fans like to mention when they see us in person that they uh, that they enjoy falling asleep to our podcast, <laughs> and I'm not sure that's as that's as great a compliment <laughs> as they think it is. It's pretty awesome, though. <laughs> well, Brad, thank you so much again for being on our show, um, and I hope you know you'll come back at some point and we can have another long Absolutely. rambling conversation about something else that interests us both. Yeah, we're just getting started. So my pleasure. Super, super glad uh, to do it. And I hope we can do it again soon. And if you ever come back, um, if you ever come down under, I don't know if you've ever been to Australia, but if you ever come down under, you have friends here as well. Um, and just awesome. feel free to reach out anytime. Very top of my list. Mm -hmm. So um, we're going to have we're going to have to figure that out once pen shows start happening Absolutely. again and travels oh, happening again. Um, <laughs> it is it is yeah. very, very on the radar. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at the nibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the, the, Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producer this episode was Diana Dye. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dye. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.